All right, welcome everyone. Glad to be here. Uh, good to see you this morning. God bless you. How are you? Great. Let's go to individually and ask. No, I'm just kidding. I'm awesome. <laughs> You're awesome. You are awesome. Uh, we're continuing the Sermon on the Mount series and uh, actually kind of getting close to the end. Uh, only have maybe two weeks left, I think. Uh, um, and it's Jesus' vision statement. And I've actually said this every Sunday on purpose so that you will remember that the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' vision statement for His kingdom. You know, it's the king declaring uh, what he envisions his kingdom, what he expects his kingdom to look like, and uh, how our, us as disciples, those who, who respond to the call, follow me, are to behave, and, and what, what it means to, to behave him. Sound effects, glory. <laughs> so the radical demands, the commentary using says, the radical demands of Jesus have been set up in the main body of the Sermon on the Mount culminating in the all-embracing principle, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And that's what we ended with, uh, or that's what we, we, we discussed uh, last week, that this was a really uh, this, what's known as the golden rule is the summary of Jesus' teaching <clears throat> up to this point and includes everything in the Sermon out previous to it. And then he follows... Uh, Jesus continues talking, uh, uh, and he follows this summary of kingdom living with several illustrations concerning living authentically as his disciples. So he's just continuing the pattern that we've seen where he teaches a truth and then gives illustrations. Well, he now gives us several illustrations of what it means to live authentic discipleship, authentic lives as, as, as his followers. So we're going to read through this and talk about it. Verse 13 through 20 of chapter 7 in Matthew. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes? Or figs from thistles? <clears throat> Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by your fruits you will know them. So we're going to look at these verses uh, a couple at a time. We're going to start with verse 13 and 14. And I like... Um, uh, I'm going to read verse 13 and 14 simply by, through, uh, using several different translations because it kind of gives you a, a better understanding of what it means just by reading several different uh, translations of it. So in the New Living Translation, it's, it's put this way. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide uh, for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. In the Amplified, which is the, the, the translation that tries to squeeze in as many words as possible, <laughs> right? that really kind of expands. It's a really long Bible. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and spacious and broad is the way that leads away to destruction. And many are those who 
who are entering through it. But the gate is narrow, contracted by pressure, and the way is straightened and compressed that leads away to life. And few are those who find it. And then finally, uh, we read in the message, which is a very contemporary wording of uh, uh, the Bible, it says, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. And I think uh, he really captured it in there. So Jesus gives us a vivid depiction uh, in these verses really about how our eternities are determined. Right? People chose which path they took. One was easy, one was hard. One was wide, one was narrow. One was popular, one was not. So he commands us to enter the uh, narrow way. So it's clearly a command. But in the, in the, in the illustration, he gives us additional information. It's a description. And the point of it is that our eternity is determined by the choices we make as we walk through life. That's pretty powerful. Where you end up is determined by the choices. Jesus, Jesus clearly communicated that. So the first illustration concerning living this authentic uh, 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 disciple life demonstrate that the kingdom uh, living requires us to follow Jesus carefully. And that the way is narrow, difficult, constrained, and not, not popular. Where the way that destruction is the opposite. It's easy, it's wide and popular. And <clears throat> this kind of brings up an image from my childhood. I grew up, uh, in, in, I lived way out in the country, and I literally, uh, I could step out my back door and walk for hours. There were fields and then woods and woods and woods and then more fields and gravel pits. And it was a paradise place for a kid to grow up. Um, but often, <clears throat> my brothers and I, and I was the youngest of four brothers. We later had a daughter. Uh, my parents had a daughter. She was seven years younger. But my brothers and I would often go camping out in the woods. And by the time we get home from school and get all our stuff together, we'd be heading out. It'd already be dark. And uh, this is back in the day when you had those old flashlights and you never had, the batteries only lasted an hour or two. You know, it's not like these LED things that last forever or your phone. (laughs) So half the time we'd be walking out to the campsite without a flashlight. Uh, And I'd have to follow close to my brothers because they were older than me and they knew the path. And by golly, I didn't want to be lost out in those woods because it was terrifying at night. And, and the idea here is that you stay close to Jesus on that narrow... And, and, and the word, they kind of struggle with the translation because the word difficult, and the different commentaries I, I, I reference, I said, you know, it's not really difficult in that it requires a lot of exertion. It's difficult in that it's so narrow and constrained that you have to follow closely. You have to be careful. Uh, uh, and the message puts it that you have to pay attention all right, and that's the idea that it's it's easily missed, and so sticking close to Jesus and staying on the narrow pathway uh, determines your eternity, according to what Jesus just said. So we have a choice in life. You have a choice. Um, going on, verse fifteen and sixteen in the New Living Translation it says, "Beware 
of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vi uh, vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from thistles? Thistles? I only like the word thistles. <laughs> I think it's a funny word. Thistle. I always, I always feel like I'm pronouncing it wrong. Thistles. It's like I have a lift. <laughs> okay. Thistles. Uh, why does Jesus mention false prophets after talking about the wide gate and the narrow gate and the choices that we make in life? Why do you think he follows that up? Uh with the question about false prophets. There's a connection. And the connection of thought may well be that like the false prophets in the Old Testament, they would offer an easier alternative to the narrow way of Christian discipleship. Their teaching would be plausible. And plausible means it seems correct. They would be able to have all of the scriptures and give a reasonable defense. Alright? It makes sense. Enabling them to pass as true disciples or sheep. But in fact, their effect or the fruit of what they are saying is destructive. Alright? Um, it's interesting that false prophets are, uh, are uh, described as coming as harmless sheep. Um, one thing, just um, before I move on on the previous thing that um, the Old Testament, often the false prophets would prophesy peace when, when people like Jeremiah and, and Isaiah were saying, listen, you're going to all die. <laughs> you know, and uh, the kings would often arrest. Uh, uh, Jeremiah was actually thrown in jail. Literally, a lot of them were because the kings didn't like to hear the bad prophet. They said, Find me a prophet that says something good. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, we want you know, something that encourages us. Um, and so the idea that in the, in the New Testament, the same, same uh, dynamic happens. Some people come along and teach, hey, it's all easy, life is, is good. When in reality, the demands of following our Lord Jesus Christ are, are vigorous and, um, and require our full attention. And right now, in the West, in our world, and Christianity is being swept up by a wave of teachers that talk about extreme grace. That's the term that has been given uh, to it. And, uh, you know, and they, they teach, as, uh, the reasoning kind of goes like this, that Jesus died for our sins, right? You know, so since He already died for all of our sins, then it doesn't matter if you sin. And I don't say it quite that way. But that's the fruit of it. It doesn't really matter. Some even go to the point of, since he died for the sins of the whole world, the whole world are going to be saved. So, and this is what happens to the same heresy that crops up every 50 to 100 years. If you read church history, every 50 to 100 years, someone comes up, a bunch of people follow it, they believe it, they start living lives that are indistinguishable from the world, and they stop preaching the gospel because everybody gets saved anyway, and within... Uh, a, a, a generation, the, the churches are just empty or the churches that buy into that or the believers that buy into that end up not going to church and they just fade away. So a lot of my friends are pastors and they're all concerned about this heresy. And I said, just don't worry, it'll fade away. I, I'm not really worried about it. But we do need to be aware that people come and say, if it sounds contrary to the teaching of Jesus, it probably is. <laughs> right? Now, <laughs> it's interesting... <clears throat> 
<coughs> that false prophets are described as harmless sheep. And it, he doesn't say that they come as, as harmless shepherds. Right. All right. They sneak in like sheeps. Uh, it certainly applies to false prophets or teachers or preachers or TV evangelists or whatever you want. But it really applies to anybody that's disguised. I think the key word is disguised. That they, they come across as being genuine, in, but inwardly they're really dangerous. And usually they come in disguise, uh, disguised as sheep. Because um, that's how they, you know, why would a wolf wear a sheep's costume? So he can get close to the other sheep. I'll just mingle up in here, pretend like I'm eating grass. <clears throat> you know, somebody's calling. <laughs> I forgot to, you know, it mingles up. <clears throat> Closer he gets until his teeth are revealed. <clears throat> and he sinks his teeth in. So it's a graphic picture. Especially with Jesus, you know, in the community that he was talking, they had wolves that actually would, you know, if you're a shepherd, you come across a, what used to be one of your sheep, all ripped apart and eaten by a wolf. And so it was a graphic picture of a, of a wolf sneaking into a, a flock of sheep. <clears throat> so it's often the harmless sheep that are the most vicious and dangerous. And so we need to have discernment. Jesus is teaching us how to discern uh, who's genuine and who's not by this picture. And I do want to share an, one example. This is one of many. Um, but one of the ways that, that people act wolfish in the herd <laughs> is... Um, you know, you can. Some sheep will will teach something that's contrary, or even get close to someone in in the flock and just say things that are hurtful or wounding. So let me give you a clue. If someone edges up to you and say, "Listen, don't tell anybody this," but if you hear the words, "Don't tell anybody this," not only should a red flag go up. <laughs> the red flag should go up, okay? And a siren should sound. Woo! Danger, 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 Will Robinson. Alright? <clears throat> because those words in and of themselves, now maybe you've said that, and I'm not you know, accusing you of something, but this is just a dynamic that happens in a congregation. Don't tell anybody this. So if I'm with somebody, I say, don't tell anybody this, but sisters, even if it's something about themselves, they're dumping on you, and if it was a, like if, if someone shared something like that to uh, uh, Bath, you know, she has the right to be able to talk to her husband. They're one flesh. They can't keep secrets. So automatically there's an exemption. But there's another exemption as well that if, if, uh, if you're in a community of faith and you have those that are over you in the Lord that you look to for spiritual direction and, and, and they're your shepherds, you can talk to those over using the Lord because they've thumbed something on you. they put something on you and you're concerned. You need to be able to talk to somebody about it. So whenever anybody says that, automatically just realize it doesn't apply. All right? Even if they keep talking and don't let, give you a chance to say, wait a minute, because you're going to live by biblical standards. And I can do a whole teaching on this. But otherwise you get trapped. It's called a false confidentiality trap. 
And so someone says something like, you know, either about themselves, I'm, I'm thinking about committing suicide, you know, but don't tell anybody. You know, actually by law you're required to do that. Alright. <clears throat> or, did you hear about so and so did such and such? You know, but don't tell anybody. You know, and then, then you're stuck. And then they go tell somebody else, and they go tell somebody else, and eventually that person is going to get confronted, or somebody's going to say, hey, wait a minute. Actually, you don't have the facts quite straight. Let me share with you. If they went to somebody that was actually involved in the situation, then they might find out, and I've seen this happen countless times in the 25 years of Bastard. The person that actually did the gossiping or the dumping ends up getting restored, and they figure out, because they get caught and they get sat down by someone that has the understanding, and says, no, this is really what happened. This is how it got resolved. And they go, oh, and they can get healed up. But we don't know all those other people. And so I've had people go for like two or three years thinking something happened that never really happened. They only heard one version of it and they thought they were bound to confidentiality. And it wounded them. Does that make any sense? Okay, that's just one way that a sheep can have wolf fangs and can wound. And the same thing can happen with false doctrine, you know, uh, accusation, all of these different things. So they, you need to judge what's the effect of those words uh, in their life and the lives of people around them. So here's another picture. Uh, so one picture was sheep and wolves. Another picture that Jesus uses is fruit. It says um, you can identify them by their fruit, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? <clears throat> uh, the way to test a prophet and really the way to test anyone is by the fruit. All right? The New Living Translation that I used up there says by the way they act. And that's included, so by their behavior. But that's actually kind of added as an uh, interpretation so we, we understand fruit. It really is the, the produce or what is produced by them as well as their behavior. Okay, So it, it means how they affect others and the community of faith. Does that make sense? So it's not just how they behave, but how do they affect others? How, how is this person's uh, life affecting the lives of those around them? Uh, that's the fruit. And how does it affect the community of faith? Are they building up? Are they, are they bringing unity? Are they bringing encouragement? Are they bringing greater passion for the things of God? A love for Jesus? A love for God's Word? A love for the lost? Or are they fragmenting? Are they bringing discouragement? And so that, that's the way you evaluate. Is this a real sheep or is it a wolf? Is it a good tree or is it a bad tree? By the uh, fruit. And Jesus is one of the main subjects of Jesus' uh, sermon is this com- the kingdom, which is the community of faith that, that we're a part of, uh, including the church. It goes on. <clears throat> Even so, verse 17 and 18, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. <clears throat> All right, a couple of things about this verse. He was talking about uh, bad prophets, but now he generalizes it and says this principle applies to every tree. Right? He goes on and says every good tree or every bad tree. And the truth certainly applies to everyone, even if you're not prophesying. Um, it, it's a way to judge a person. It's a way to judge ourselves. It's a way to know if we're being authentic. We're going to go on a little bit of a word study. So bear with me. 
We don't do this too often here, but sometimes it's important to pick apart some words. Um, the words good and bad that describe the tree are different adjectives than the words used to describe a fruit. So who can answer the question, what is an adjective? It describes a noun. Very good. <laughs> describes a noun, not a verb. Uh, uh, and so, it's in the original language, the word, the adjective that described the tree for good is different than the adjective that described the fruit as good. Let me give you an example. Let me explain this, how this works. Uh, the ESV, uh, which is English Standard Version, really brings this out. It says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit. They use different English words because in the original Greek, there were different words. Instead of good tree bears good fruit, they use healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. So you get a little better understanding of the meaning. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And this is just, you know, I'm throwing in little study tips. Reading different translations, no matter how much you love, you know, your favorite translation, you know, if you're one of those, you love the NIV, the, the nearly inspired version. Sorry, just a joke, just a joke. <clears throat> you read the King James, because it was good enough for Peter and Paul, by golly, it's good enough for me. Right, whatever it is, read them all. Read four or five of them because they're, they're all translated by experts in language and you can key into something a little deeper. And also look up some of the Greek words. So if, if, you, if you're curious, you want to know a little bit more, you know, I can show you how to do it on a computer. It's really easy and it's all free nowadays. So the good word, <clears throat> I'm sorry, the word for good tree is a Greek word that means of good constitution or nature or in the Strong's, it's intrinsically good. So it's intrinsic, something that's by its nature, uh, its constitution. Uh, and the word for good fruit, it means beautiful, handsome, excellent. And it refers primarily to its appearance and use. And then the dictionary actually uses the other word we just referred to. It's distinguished from that word, which is primarily intrinsic. So it's talking about... Um, uh, the outward appearance and its usefulness. So the intrinsic nature of a good tree causes it to produce fruit that is beautiful in appearance and useful. Isn't this a beautiful, red, delicious apple? You know, they actually have scoring systems that uh, score an apple by its shape and its color and its size. Um, and, and, and so if there was a, if there was a homecoming for apples, this could be, you know, maybe the homecoming apple queen. <laughs> I'm so pretty. She's so pretty. <coughs> All right. That's so beautiful. Someone in first service wondered if it was real. Uh, like, yeah, it's real. It's a beautiful in appearance. Uh, it's good fruit. And, uh, the word for bad fruit, uh, or the bad tree rather, uh, means rotten, putrefied. Uh, corrupted, no longer fit for use. It indicates degeneracy, or it's degenerated from its original virtue. So what does that imply? It used to be good. It used to be good. Alright? It's gotten bad in some way. It's degenerated. It's been corrupted. Uh, and, and the word for bad fruit is actually hurtful or evil. All right, not just doesn't look good; it's actually 
destructive evil in, uh, in influence. So I stopped by, I saw a tree growing alongside the road just yesterday, and I, I knew there would be some bad fruit on it because if a tree is not tended, uh, the fruit gets funky. <clears throat> yeah, this is an apple. I think it's actually a red delicious tree based on some of the other specimens on the tree. But I couldn't tell for sure. So, you know, here's the good fruit, here's the bad fruit. Listen, it's October 20th, right? Yeah. Right? <clears throat> You're way behind, dudes. Right? Do you think they're going to make it for the harvest? No. All right, they need to be this big. And they're, they're really funky shaped. And uh, uh, they're not going to make it. Right? They're not going to cut it in harvest time. They're not going to be good for anything uh, because of the tree that they grew on. So we see that a bad tree uh, has been corrupted, degenerate from its original state, and it produces fruit that's harmful. And he's using this as an illustration of people's lives. Um, and uh, it has hurtful, harm, uh, corrupting uh, influence and effect in others. That determines uh, the, uh, the, 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 the we understand the nature of the tree by the fruit. And I think Jesus used the unique words to emphasize the difference between the nature or the connection between the nature of a tree and the fruit it bears. And someone asked, <clears throat> you know, well, can, can you can you be a good tree and still have bad fruit? Uh, and, and, and Jesus is saying here, a good tree does not produce bad fruit, and a bad tree does not produce good fruit. The emphasis that he's trying to make is that the, the quality or, of the fruit, or the type of fruit, is completely dependent on the nature of the tree. Alright? And what, what affects the, what shapes the destiny of that fruit, or how that fruit gets shaped, is determined by the goodness, the healthiness, or the diseasedness, the badness of a tree. And saying this is how you judge. And so, uh, as we come to Christ, and our, our natures are transformed, uh, there, it is a process. And so, actually as a Christian, uh, we can have good fruit and bad fruit. Alright? But there's a pruning process that we put off the bad fruit. And the thing is, the tree just doesn't have to try harder. You know, the tree that I picked, if I stood in front of that tree and go, tree, look at this lousy fruit you've been growing. Look at it. It's, 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 this looks gross. Who's going to eat this? Look at what the tree down the road. You know, if I yelled and t- called it names, it's not going to change. Right? Or not, once I pick this apple, is there anything I can do to make that apple look better and be fit for, for the market? No. No. What do I have to do to make that, tr- to, to, to get better apples? I have to change the tree. So Jesus is saying, in order to produce better apples, you have to change the nature of the tree. The intrinsic nature. There has to be a transformation. And the truth is, we're all bad, a- we're all bad trees. We're all bad apples. We're all bad trees. We're all bad trees. That's the message of the Gospel. All right? Everyone born, everyone that has Adam and Eve, that's descended from Adam and Eve, we, we're born bad. We have a broken nature. We've been corrupted by sin. All right? <clears throat> We've been degenerate from the original virtue that God created and intended for us. All right? Um, but, 
as Jesus was describing, remember this is part of one conversation, we have choices. We can choose which path we walk. We can choose who we follow. False prophets or Jesus. Right? And that process of following Jesus actually is, he describes it in another place, as being born again. Uh, It's about having our nature transformed through relationship with Jesus Christ so that our nature is different. Not just that we get rid of the bad fruit, but we change the tree. As trees, we can be different. Alright? We can have our our nature transformed. Paul talks about the same idea, but he gives a little more graphic depiction of it. Uh, He's writing to the early church. He said, You died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. So he's talking about the sinful nature that we're born with, that that, that, that we live in, and that produces bad fruit. That part of us needs to die. And it's supposed to, it dies when you, when you come to salvation and you renounce yourself as king of your life and you accept Jesus as your Lord when you choose to follow Him. That's the, the moment when, when, when your will is broken and it, it dies. But there's a process that you have to walk. And it continues on. It says, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in His glory. So if that's happened to you, you're not going to be burned with the, with, the, with the bad trees. You're going to share in God's glory. And so Paul goes on and says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. So if there's anything sinful or lurking, any of that disease still lurking within you, put it to death so that you don't produce bad fruit. To go back to Jesus' illustration. Have nothing to do, then he gives a list. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Uh, He goes on. He says, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. And so Jesus was talking about the end and judgment and fire. Paul's referring to the same thing. He says, you used to do those things these things, when your life was still part of this world. So whenever we read a list of, like this in the New Testament, it's not like we're better than those people who do, do those things. It's like we were those people that did those things. Uh, and God's done something that changes our nature, that makes us different. By encountering Him, there's a renewal that happens inwardly that changes the nature so we can start producing fruit that is consistent with God's nature. Does that make sense? All right. Uh, it says, now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice, behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature with all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature, your new intrinsic nature, right? And be renewed, recreated, born again, as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In knowing God and and following Jesus, you become like Him and you follow that narrow path. Pretty soon you look like Jesus, you talk like Jesus, uh, you act like Jesus because you're following Jesus. You can't change the fruit after you pick it. You must change the tree. Um, In Christ, our rotten, diseased natures are transformed so that the fruit we produce is God's nature. You know, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, 
Right? When that becomes, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. When you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, and you ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes in you, I believe in some in spiritual way, actually dwells within you. That enables you to grow good fruit. Love, joy, peace, kindness. You know, all the fruit of the Spirit. You know, and it's going to be healthy. And, and as you rely on the Holy Spirit and you put to death the sinful disease things are going to fall off. And you're going to have a tree filled with the fruit. But Jesus is very clear about this. He says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Now, that's a powerful statement. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the illustration that he first used was about the narrow and wide gate and the person's choice in which path they took would determine their eternal destiny. Right? Here he's saying your destiny is going to be determined by the fruit of your life. So, your deeds, your acts, and how they affect those around you. Hmm. And Jesus wasn't afraid to use the image of fire. Everyone there knew what it meant to cut down a tree and throw it in a... He could have been standing by a fire and picked up a, a branch and threw it into the fire. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is going to be thrown into the fire. Right? He knew what image that would evoke in people's minds. And he wasn't afraid to evoke an image. It would be, uh, he would not be truthful or loving if that was uh, going to happen to us and he didn't reveal it. Does that make sense? He wouldn't be loving. And so it's not unloving for Jesus to speak about judgment and hell. It's actually loving. Because he's doing everything in his power. And even the transformation that he, he commands is not even done by our own power. It's done by receiving the power of God in us that tr changes us by following Jesus, by learning from him, by submitting to him. All right? <clears throat> what we do affects, uh, determines our eternity. Let's move on. In 1920, it says, Jesus quotes verbatim John the Baptist. Uh, uh, when he talks in the verse that we just read, and you can read that in Matthew 3.10, and he's alluding to the final judgment. A tree that does not respond to what God has done, that does not bear good fruit, is destined for the fire. Alright? Uh, but how do you produce good fruit? You change the tree. A tree can't change itself exactly. That's why you need to follow Jesus. That's why you need to enter the narrow gate. And it's difficult. It's constrained. It's narrow. It's not the popular route, but it's the it's the route that uh, enables you to enter in to uh, salvation, and it enables you to avoid the fire. Jesus is not afraid to bring that up. So he uses a picture that's. Uh, or I already said that. <laughs> uh, Jesus came so that every tree has the opportunity to be transformed. The question is, have you been transformed? What kind of fruit is being produced in your life? We all start out as bad trees. We're going to be judged by the fruit we, we produce. Now's your chance. Now is the opportunity to be renewed, to be transformed, to begin to grow, regardless of how bad your fruit was even yesterday. Repentance is a transformation, is a choice to follow Jesus and then obedience is the fruit of that choice that you demonstrate that repentance by living righteous. 
Okay? By living, uh, uh, following Jesus' examples, by putting off those uh, things that lurk in your, in, your, in your life. Authentic discipleship, what Jesus has been talking about this whole time, means that our natures have been transformed and the fruit of our lives is a demonstration of it. Ultimately, this gives us a verse not only how to judge others, evaluate others, but of course we always begin by evaluating ourselves and making sure our nature has been transformed and our fruit's good. Amen? Yeah. They have some announcements. God bless you all. Thank you. <laughs> I think uh, what Aaron said in first service bears repeating too when he 